spoken lately. I haven't thought about flying for a long time. I have a dream that at moment when I was alone above the clouds for a long time. I have dreamed waking up in a room surrounded in blue and green grass more years than I could dream of memory. I haven't walked back into the past or scratched on the doors of my origins where it all came from since I held up that cape for the last time. Return to Kent Town 10th year anniversary edition is a revised version of Ambien's first poetry book. The book can be purchased from Amazon and it contains numerous additional material. Spoken Label Hi, it's Andy Ann from Spoken Label. Thank you today for streaming or downloading another episode of Spoken Label. Spoken Label was originally set up on beginning of the 2016 and as of speaking has currently nearly 300 sessions. The full archive is available on Spoken Label full stop bandcamp.com although it is available for free for stream and download if you wish i am always grateful for any sort of kind of donation to enable to me to keep the running costs this podcast going and enjoy take care bye-bye spoken label hi guys and the end spoken label back in the house on a monday night and it's bloody horrible out there tonight as well it's i got home from the doctors before and it's not stopped raining all the all the way home and i got drenched but yeah so spoken label is a good way of cheering me up after that and we're local today as well, which is good. I've not spoke to a local writer for ages. And we're over to uh, an area, the lady in question of speed, of course, Burnage. But I, I call it Bernage. So, but I've got <laughs> Lou with me, Louise with me today. So, Louise, I'll let you introduce yourself. Tell, obviously, people, obviously, who you are, where you're from, and what's going on to you often. We'll start from there. Okay. Uh, hello, then. <laughs> so, I'm Louise, uh, Louise Finnegan. And um, I'm a writer of short stories, mostly. Um, I'm also writing a novel. Um, I'm from Manchester. I like to write things about Manchester, set in Manchester. Um, That's probably quite a strong part of my writing, is that sense of setting and place. Um, Yeah, I mean, what what else would you like me to say at this point, Andy? Yeah, where did did all your writing originally come from, Anne Louise? Um... Yeah, I've had like quite a long and fractured journey with it. Um, I'm not that young, <laughs> but I'm quite young as a writer, I feel like. I've not really been been writing seriously for that long. Probably like a lot of people, um, as a child, I love to write. And I do have this really vivid memory of being in primary school. I think it might have been junior one, which is the age that my oldest daughter is now. So kind of seven, that kind of age. And I remember that I was young enough to still be writing in pencil and I was writing a ghost story. And the teacher kind of said, you know, you need to be rounding this up now. We're moving on to the next activity. And I just had this really strong sense of like, no, I don't want to round this up. I was so involved in it. Um, and I did, I did have this moment where I thought this, I love doing this. This is what I want to be doing. And that has always stayed with me. And I do think ever since then, I have known in my heart really that that's, that's what I want to be and that that's what I am. Um, but of course you get older and life intrudes and you need to make money and um, certainly in my early 20s I would have been way too scared to say that writing was something that I wanted to do because I needed to provide you know just some kind of security for myself and I was obsessed with that really 
Um, so it was much later, kind of mid thirties for me, really, um, on maternity leave, actually, just having just that tiny bit of space away from my day job, which is teaching. Um, obviously, it wasn't a lot of space because I was looking after a baby and then another baby who came along quite quickly afterwards. But um, I started writing somehow. I don't really understand how, but I started writing again in that at that point. Um, I think I just did it because, well, I did it because in my heart I've always wanted to do it. But um, yeah, I just suddenly had space to begin again. And as soon as I did start again, all this stuff that must have been kind of welling up that I needed to write about and all these experiences uh, came out in this very powerful way. Um, so yeah, that, that's where I am with it at the minute. That was kind of maybe three or four years ago. And since then I've written a novel, I've completed it. I've written maybe I don't know, 12 short stories, but you know, some of them have been published. Um, and I suppose I'm at a point now where I know that I need to write every day if I can. I can't always, but I'd like to. Um, yeah, I understand now that it's something that I need to do. <laughs> Yeah, no, I think it's come to natural. Life, I think, sometimes comes that way naturally because I'm very similar to you, you know, because I'm in the sense of I started writing when I was 10. I can mm. also see the parallel as well because I, throughout my 20th, I was working an absolute rubbish job and I barely wrote. And then when I went to uni, I was 28, as a mature student, did three years of intense writing and then drifted for a few years. And I started myself again properly in mid 30s. So, yeah. So, it was, I think, was you? Degree uh, actually in writing, was yeah, it, it was that, yeah, yeah, it was, yeah. I did, I did it at Bolton University, so and I, I, that's what really got me going on it because I learned a lot from that. I did, I think it's yeah. obviously with you teaching as well. What you've done for yourself there is you've got this the analytical side of it, you can look mm. at work with obviously know where you're going wrong, and that's I think the important thing with writing, really. I think because we've started obviously three or four years ago, it's just, I think it, you probably agree with me, probably just the right time for you, probably, wasn't it? In some ways, yeah. I think I had something to write about. <laughs> Maybe I've always had that, but I think I just had so much <laughs> that I needed to write about by that stage of life. But also, yeah, I think the fact that I'm an English teacher, perhaps even though it's so different, you know, analysing works of literature that are quite old, <laughs> quite kind of, you know, not not modern very little of what I teach is contemporary um that's so different to like to what I write and just to the process of creating something and making something but at the same time I've always been in it you know I've always had to read for a living and I've always had to think about the writer's craft I suppose um I think it's a very very strange move to make as a teacher as an English teacher because you know in your head, these writers are these hallowed figures and they tend to be, you know, writers from the literary canon. And that's yeah. what you think of when you think of a writer. You know, you're thinking of these usually um, old white dead guys. <laughs> and, it's true, it's true. Yeah, and these incredibly celebrated figures who just seem a million miles away from our own lives. Um, so then to even begin to think that you could call yourself a writer becomes a bigger and bigger step and it seems like an almost ridiculous thing to claim about yourself but but you know it isn't it just means that you you write that you want to create something you want to put something out there in the world yeah I think you're dead right that's what it's always been for me that I think it took me to look a bit older than what you are now but it took me to a couple that I said to over pushing 40 to know what know where the direction I was going and in the past yeah. nine years, it's gone off in all kinds of weird directions. And I think, yeah. I think as writers or creative people, that's the way it goes sometimes. 
like it. I think it's sometimes it just takes longer than others because you know, you came on to obviously people don't know us. We first met my uh, speakeasy the night I called Run. Yeah, yeah I that, you brilliant you were in that night as well. But like we get people there, like I can name two people I know that are 20 and 21 that go there. Mm. And I thought, I've at that stage of my life, and you were the same. I'd have run off that stage screaming if I'd been trying to read or write that stage. Yeah, I would have walked past a bar advertising something like that at that age and something in my heart would have kind of just crushed in on itself a little bit because I would have I would have just walked past it and I would have thought, well, I can't even go in there because I'm too scared of the thing that I want to do. Do you know what I mean? I was too scared to even be around other people doing that kind of thing because that would mean that I would have to do it. <laughs> Yeah. I'm way too scared. Yeah. I think it's tough. It's not to those people, obviously, these brave young people. So many more of them as well. Um, like young people that I teach who are like getting involved in spoken word and very, very confident to put themselves out there. And it's really, really good to see. Yeah. There's been a number of people at the moment who've been contacting me, and not a lot of people know this, and Amanda knows this, and you do now as well. That contacted me with advice by setting nights up since post lockdown. And it's been brilliant, absolutely brilliant to hear people actually wanting to do that. Yeah. And that's why, but I don't, we're digressing completely. So we have to talk about you here today. Now, obviously, um, the first major publication that you've had was your recent uh, short story or longer short story, Flying the Wall Press, which mm-hmm. came out a couple of months ago. So would you like to tell us about that? And tell us about, obviously, the title of people are interested is Muscle and Mouth. So tell mm-hmm. us about the origins of Muscle and Mouth. Hmm, right that's yeah <laughs> that's a tricky one to go back to so uh, Muscle and Mouth is a story set in Manchester it's like in a non-specified um, council estate in Manchester and the format of the story is that you've got this young girl I tend to kind of my narrators tend to be younger characters so this girl's 17 Jade and she's for her A-level language assignment she has to investigate the language of her friends so she's looking at spoken language so she's been asked as one of her assignments and this is one of the ways that she's going to get into university it's a coursework assignment to go and record her friends speaking transcribe and then analyze their speech obviously the world that she's kind of entering into in college and going into universities, this much more middle-class, much more educated world, kind of alien to who she is and where she's from. Whereas her friends and the way that they speak, that is who she is and that's where she's from. So she's forced into this position where she has to analyze and pull apart the language of people um, for a certain audience. And she, I suppose, has to uh, be quite academic and quite cold in her treatment of something that is actually like very, very personal to her. So the format of the story is split into three ways. You know, it, it comes across through three different mediums. So there's the story where we're hearing about Jade going to see her friends. And when she's in this flat recording this transcript, this sudden unexpected event occurs. At the same time, you get the story as a transcript. So she transcribes the conversation between her friends and the reader sees that as a script that comes in in the story. And at the same time, you get the essay. So you get Jade in this cold academic language reflecting and on the language of her friends and pulling apart and analysing and linking to research. Um, so it's quite strange the way that it's told in these three separate ways. But hopefully what I've managed to do is 
say something about language and say something about how, um, I don't know, I suppose about how your language is forced to change um, if you want to change the kind of social spheres that you're inhabiting. And at the same time, what I hope I've done through the event that occurs in the story is tell something that is exciting and that makes people feel tense. Like a lot of people who've read it, I think my favorite comment that I've had back on the story is that it's made them feel very, very tense and very uncomfortable. Um, so I wanted that kind of, <laughs> I wanted to do something that was unusual and experimental in form, but I still wanted it to have that kind of slightly um, nerve shredding effect. Um, because, yeah, the reader really should not know what is about to happen from moment to moment in that story. I think that's good writing. Because good writing. Because what I've, I've heard heard about this is like I've read, read very similar reviews on it. And I'm always a believer in if you draw, you get emotions out of the reader that you want. It's a success of a story. Yeah, that's why. Yeah. So yeah, I thought that you were really a perfect, really good success of that. And like I know you've done quite well with it, obviously, because you, you've been speaking to the lovely Bella Kenyon over at Fly on the Wall Press, and I know, but I know Bella fairly well, and you've done that's great when you get involved with Bella. She's such a good, nice lady. So that's why. So brilliant with that. Now, obviously, um, also as well, changing topics. I know you've you've telling me before as well, obviously, about the Bristol Prize, weren't you? Where you had a nomination for the Bristol Prize recently as well. Can you tell us about that next? Talent being exhibited there, yeah. Yeah, I can see that from what you showed before. It looks, looks brilliant. Well done with that again. So now, obviously, um, the last part of the session, I always, I always like to ask the writer what they've got coming up next, planned work-wise. You've touched on this already, and I know, obviously, you've got, you're have got working on your debut novel at the moment. Now, can you tell us anything about this debut novel? Obviously, it won't give too many spoilers away. Oh, right. Yeah. So I think, um, yeah, that's quite hard for me to talk about in some ways. Um, I don't really know if how much it's that, you know, whether or not I'm able to talk about it um, as just that I'm not very good at articulating it sometimes, probably because I'm so deep in the middle of it at the minute. I'm like right in the thick of the final edit. Um, it's a missing person drama, but it's not really a drama. It's not really a thriller. It's much more centred on the character herself who loses someone and it's about it's about not getting answers really it's about not having any answers not having any explanations and when you've got nothing what the brain naturally does um I believe is projects its own answers its own fears its own hopes its own explanations into that void and in that sense, that nothing, that absence can become really potent. Um, so that's really what the novel's about. It's about having no answers to major questions, like important questions, um, like where somebody is. <laughs> and taking everything, all your previous experiences and hopes and assumptions and prejudices and all of that kind of squirming together to fill the void. Um, that's really what the novel's about in an abstract form. Yeah, and I couldn't really say any more than that. I don't think about what happens with the characters, but that, that's at the root of it. That was the idea that I had from the beginning and that I've tried to stay true to. Brilliant. Good luck with it, definitely. So now obviously, um, I want to ask you about that then. Obviously, the process of writing a novel then for you, um, how has it compared for you to writing short stories then? 
Um, I started writing the novel really before I got into short stories, but I think that was very foolish of me, and I absolutely wouldn't recommend that to anybody else. I think um, sensible people, yeah, sensible people write flash fiction first, and then short stories, and then novellas or novellas in flash. That's a form that I really love as well, Um, and then they write novels. But I was stupid and arrogant and tried to write a novel without having really sat down and mastered the short story form at all well I mean you never mastered the short story form but without even trying you know to sit down and do it properly um so I think that I mean the novel for me has been like this really intense labor of love for a good good five years now um and I'd say I'd say that what is the same about writing a short story and a novel for me anyway, is that you have to have um, an idea that absolutely obsesses you, you know, something that you are so compelled to write that you're not going to mind editing it a hundred times. I think a lot of people kind of feel like the short stories, you know, you don't need to be so obsessed with the idea to write the short story, but I think you do. I think, you know, short stories, you have to edit a hundred times as well. It's just that the editing process is quicker because the, the, the piece is shorter. But for me, with both the short story or the novel, you have to be absolutely obsessed with the idea. You know, you have to really want to get into the skin and under the skin of, of whatever idea it is that you're writing about. But with the novel, I think, I suppose, process-wise, um, it's this thing about learning and growing as a writer. Like I think I've changed a lot um, over the last couple of years because I didn't know at all what I was doing at first. So with a novel, perhaps taking on feedback is even more important, making sure that those key ideas are translating without you having to tell your reader what the key ideas are. So being part of a writing group was really useful for me. I've been part of Autumn Writers Circle for a long time and I could not have written that novel without them. Um, and yeah then also at the same time whilst acknowledging that you're going to change a lot because most people who write novels it will take years to write it sorry for people who do NaNoWriMo like I know that some people manage to do it in a month but most people I know really it, it is a process of years so it's letting yourself change and grow as a writer during that time but at the same time trying to stay true to the original idea that you had, like at the same time remembering what it is that you're trying to write. I think that's been, yeah, that's been the trick I've been trying to master when it comes to writing the novel. Really, well, good, luck with, good luck with Louise, definitely with that, because it's it's a process. I, I've, I've got two or three aborted novels knocking around them. One day I'll finish one, but I'll get them. How do get you there. find it? Difficult because I'm, I'm dyspraxic, so it takes me twice as long. <laughs> That's why. Yeah. It's I can do some things really easy without the brain to click a switch on. Like poetry, I can use to get right, and I can play the piano really well. But novels, it's I have to it's much more intense, and I struggle with it to some degree. But it's, it's I think it's the hardest discipline to do as a writer, truth be honest with you. Yeah, they're very unwieldy, aren't they? They kind of grow and grow and grow and then they kind of get out of your control and, yeah. It's a master master thing because when you're doing like a writing, you're doing focus on a character in a novel, you can't have them like one page growing a third arm then suddenly going back to two arms and it's just, I think it's learning the levels of consistency with it, so... That's why it makes it really hard. And oh, I know that that, that it's that kind of practical detail like that. I'm actually finding that really difficult at the minute. I think also because I'm trying to write a novel while 
teaching and like looking after children as well I find that it is those kind of practical details that's hard to keep in your head because you're constantly trying to track where your character is emotionally obviously like you know you know that that's the important thing and then you forget little details like at the start of the scene they were drinking coffee and at the end of the scene they're drinking tea somehow because you've just built in that little inconsistency because you've not been thinking about it you've been thinking about so many other things so I just think it's very very hard to keep tabs on all of that detail especially when you've got other things going on in life as well it's it's very hard it's unwieldy definitely yeah no definitely it's just I think as a writer always as an artist I'm always a believer you've got to keep pushing yourself and that's fair play yeah. to you You'll get there with it. I know you will. That whether you want to write another novel after that is another ball game. But I think you'll work that one out when you get there, won't you? Probably so. <laughs> so, anyway, Louise, to conclude then, seriously, on the first part, if people want to find out more about you, where is the best going? Um, I don't know. Um, if the, if they wanted to, if they wanted to, um, you could go to Twitter, I suppose. Um, so I'm Lufin Writes on Twitter. Um, quite easy to find and um, yeah there are also pieces that you can find online like my story Sirens is available through the Manchester Fiction Prize website um, and of course you can buy Muslim Mouth through um, Fly on the Wall Press as well yeah which can be found in the, yeah, the people are interested people can find that on all good and evil booksellers as I would say because I've just been looking at uh, Waterstones before and obviously of course Fly on the Wall Press's website as well, so definitely with that. So yeah, and they're great. Like, there's so many good things that you can buy through Fly on the Wall anyway. So the whole short season that Muslim Mouth was part of was absolutely brilliant. Like, I still keep on getting deliveries of different short stories that are part of the same season, and I can't believe how good like every single story has been. Like, some really um, experimental and interesting and kind of daring and dangerous pieces. Um, so I think Isabel Kenyon, who runs Fly on the Wall, has just done such a fantastic job with that. So, yeah, if, if people haven't looked at Fly on the Wall Press's website yet, then they definitely should. Well, I could recommend that because I've got Dave Hartley's, or Dave, David Hartley's. Yeah, oh, it's brilliant. Fact. I've known, yeah. you, wouldn't, you wouldn't have known this, actually. And I was um, speaking easy tonight. We obviously we met you out of cup what, in September. Dave actually originally set up Speakeasy, he did, would you believe? Did he? Yeah, you did. Yeah. And what happened was, after he had to stand aside for it for various reasons, Steve took it over. And then Steve asked me to come on board a month or two later. And then right. Amanda came on straight after that. So it became a free piece. So that's why we're Dave yeah. set Speakeasy up. And I've got at least yeah. two or three other books of Dave's knocking around. And this is his darkest book. I've ever seen it is so far. Is this fauna you're talking about or pigskin? Uh, pigskin. <laughs> yeah. Pardon me, sorry. Pardon me. Uh, the, the full length one. I've got it's in my room, so I think it is it pigskin. Yeah. No, it's the full one that's got about 10 stories in. It's not the one right. story. Yeah, yeah, right. So pigskin is the one story that's yeah. out with Fly on the Wall yeah. Press, but Fauna that's, is his recent that's it. Um, publication. That's that's got, it. That's yeah, it. that is so dark and it's so I always think his prose is very, very crisp and sharp. You know, there isn't a yeah. word wasted at all. Yeah, he's brilliant. Yeah, you get some people, and when you meet them as writers, the most easygoing people and unserious people you know. And this applies to me and you as well, where, like, I'm very easygoing and to a point, but my writing is one of the few things I take serious. And it's the way you do working in novel and your stories is the same for you as well. And I think mean, it's, yeah. it's a trigger switch sometimes, I think, so. 
I think it's funny as well how you can meet people who are just so pleasant and so sweet and I don't know like they just you know wouldn't ever want to say anything offensive in conversation but then you read their stories and it's like really really dark explosive stuff I always find that that really interesting as well that yeah happens quite a lot with writers I've found <laughs> yeah it does and it's like I think obviously back to you said what you're teaching as well like it's like you'll be marking people all the time for the stuff and you must say, you must feel sometimes, you look at some of the work getting sent you to look at, you must be thinking, really? <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, anything, honestly, anything that I, my, yeah, my students send in incredible stuff. So, yeah, I'm always, always very impressed. <laughs> <laughs> really? What we'll do is... Yeah, but, we'll, yeah we'll... but there's always, I'm, I'm never surprised... I think I've stopped being surprised a long time ago by um, what people write. I, I think you can never match the personality of a person in front of you to the writing that they produce, if you know what I mean. Like, you'd, you'd never guess who it was who's, who's written stuff, because I just I think that's one of the most wonderful things about it, that people are so different creatively, perhaps, to the personality that they project when they're having a conversation with you. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree, and I think that applies to you probably that, yourself when you know, when you look at your own work for example like it was um that, that, i remember you read that short story out or the extract out to, to speak easy i was sat there thinking i thought there's no way that's based on louise's real life or hers she's not substituting herself into the person of that story there but there was something of you there was something of you in that but in a very yeah. in a subtle way and that's good writing i think don't you yeah, well, we're all we're all a myriad of different people, I suppose, aren't we? I think yeah. it, that's one of the things, writing's one of those places, areas where you really see that, yeah. I think I use the word liar, good, we're good liars as writers as well, frequently as well. Yes, yes. <laughs> that's why, yeah. so. I was taught, um, I did do a tiny bit of, so I did one module in creative writing at university, which I absolutely loved, although I was very intimidated by it though as well. Um, but I do remember I had a writing tutor, it was John McAuliffe was his name, and he said to me that if anybody ever asked me if my stories were true or based on real life experience, to just say yes about everything. And then people would just think I had a really interesting life. Um, so <laughs> I've always thought maybe that is the best approach, to, you know, to just just be like, yes, yeah, all of it's true. All of it's true about everything. <laughs> no comment. That's all I'm going to say. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Right, Lou, we'll wrap up here then and we'll take a quick break and let you bust. Great. We'll let everyone hear a bit of your work in a moment. So it's been a I've really enjoyed this, Lou, definitely. So thank you very much for today. Thank you. And we'll see you in a minute. Spoken, mate. Hi, guys. Time of the day now. I can relax now and be the audience. So over to Louise. Go for it, my friend. And I look forward to hearing your work. Thanks. So this is an extract from my short story called Spec, um, which you can find in the Bristol Short Story Prize Anthology, uh, volume 14. It's from Tangent Books. <laughs> um, I'm reading an extract that's a little bit further through the story. So uh, what the audience might want to know is that the narrator is a young girl. Um, it tells us that she's just moved into a new house, into a new area and on the first night that she gets there, the nursery, like the local nursery has been burned down, but people don't know who's done it. The other information that we've got in the story so far is that she's kind of starting to spend time with new friends who are her neighbors on one side. Um, there's a little girl called Ashley, who's the same age as her, but it's probably had quite a different life to her so far. 
and her brothers Kyle and Nathan. What's also mentioned is that she's got a neighbour on the other side because she's in a terraced house. So she shares a wall on the other side with another neighbour um, who makes her feel uncomfortable. So I'm going to start reading uh, from about halfway through the story. It's nearly my first communion, so I sit on the carpet at school and learn about having specks on my soul. They will be there long after I die, adding years to the waiting room that comes before heaven. The specks don't only come from things like swearing or forgetting to brush your teeth. They're trickier than that. Some of them are almost invisible. I put my hand up to ask how I can stop the specks from slipping in when I'm not looking. I imagine them everywhere like pollen, like flakes of ash on the night of the burning nursery. The kids from next door go to a different school down the road, so they won't even know about the specks. I wait and wait until my arm hurts, but they just keep talking about the bread, so clean and perfect, like a white wafer moon, and how it will take all the specks away, all our doubts, all our questions. It sounds brilliant, so I put my hand down. Metal spikes scrape my belly as I try to wriggle under the fence. It drags my skirt up and my legs flap about stupidly, kicking at concrete and air. I shouldn't have come. I should have stayed in the garden with Jem. Shell, Nathan shouts as he stands over me and laughs. I don't know what he means, but it has something to do with embarrassment. Shame spreads through the parts of me that are close to him. Kyle is there too, over on the wrong side with my legs. I cannot breathe under the spike. Ashley slips slick as an eel and yanks my skirt until it covers me. Don't be snide, Nath, she says, and they snigger and slump away towards the burned things. I try to follow her by sucking in my flesh and pretending not to care about the skin on my cheek as it tears. She holds her hand out as I wobble to my feet. We walk together across the blackened grass. Look, that's where the bikes used to be, under there, and they had a wall that you could do what's it on, you know, thingy. Painting? No. We've played out together a few times now, me and Ashley, and I'm starting to notice things like how she gets frustrated over her words sometimes. More like chalk? Yeah, and then duck things for riding on, it was dead good. She nods at Kyle and Nathan, who are poking at a yellow shape that has half melted into the ground. The spring that plugs it to the charred floor still has some bounce. They creak it back and forward and stare hard into its faded beak. Who did it? I ask, because she seems like someone who might know. But Ashley just looks at the floor and says, some knobheads, some knobheads did it. Yeah, I try to push those kind of words from my mouth, but I can't. I start to worry about the specs. The air must be full of them here. Do you think they saw? Ashley jumps down from the railing, scratches about in the rubble and dust. Saw what? Where her Power Rangers t-shirt rides up, I see deep shadows between each knobble of spine. I wonder if she is hungry and if next time I should bring something, hula hoops perhaps, or chew it. Me, when I was under the fence and my skirt was up, Ashley licks a fingertip and rubs at something from the dirt, something small and glittering. I wonder if it is glass, a tiny splinter of glass from the shattered nursery windows. 
She is looking at me now, holding it out to me. Don't let people make you feel stuff, she says. Fuck them, I gasp. Fuck them, she says, lifting her finger like a gift. This is what I hear in the dark. Cars on the carriageway, some slow like tearing paper, some slicing at tarmac, leaving open wounds in the air. Jem's cries, hot and sweaty from the bedsheets, the sigh and shuffle of mum's feet, how she cries sometimes about dad. Far away, Kyle's video game, Ashley's door slam. Nearer, on the other side of the wall, a creaking about and a coughing. When the other noises stop, it doesn't. I make my first communion in a plain white dress with a peach sash. Don't worry, mum says, people won't get dressed up too fancy around here. But the church car park is crowded with hoops and veils and little white gloves twirling at diamante drop earrings. I feel the guilt of her palm smoothing my hair as I kneel to pray my soul specks away. The altar has carpet like marzipan and the priest speaks from folded robes of icing. He gives us the moon wafer and then talks for a long time about how we are different now we've received it. We must love one another. We must love our neighbours as we would love ourselves. And I think all of them and feel the specks sliding in. I try to ignore how the moon wafer dissolved on my tongue so quick as if it was never there. Thank you. Wow. That's where I'm going to stop for today. Wow, excellent. Uh, yeah, that is dark. That is dark, but dark, but engaging. I think is a good word I've used for it there. Thanks. Wow, indeed, Thanks. that one. No, check it out, everybody, seriously, because you know, when I first met Louise to speak, he's definitely spellbound, and that later bit's even more spellbinding. So, like I said, he can easily pick up this, this short story on Flying the Warm Press online, or he's in Waterstones and probably other places as well. So, thank you for today, Louise. Been a pleasure. Really, Thank really you. enjoyed, really enjoyed it. it. Yeah, it's lovely to talk to you. Yeah. yeah, come back on when the novel's out and published. I'd love to yeah, talk to you. Yeah, and that. I'd like to be at Speakeasy again soon as well. So I'm, I'm going to we'll gear myself up for that. <laughs> we'll speak about that off mic in a minute. Yeah. So hang around. Yeah. I do need Great. to put it off mic. But everybody, Great. stay safe and stay over. See you all soon. Spoken, mate.